For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 705, welcome to today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Hello, Josh. Hello. And uh, how was your weekend? Most excellent, thank you. Excellent. Uh, we have May Haddad on the program this evening of Mia Moore uh, Collection. We'll have uh, her profile uh, coming up in just a little while on the program. But first, our usual chat off the top about some of the entrepreneurial news of the week. And uh, this one affects us both. And uh, I think we're both very excited about this. Um, BlackBerry. I, I've yet to get go back to my BlackBerry, but I, I plan on it very shortly. And uh, John Chen, the CEO of BlackBerry, says the company will soon be profitable. Is that even... Uh, possible, or is he just being really optimistic? Well, first of all, Dan, we are definitely in the minority of the BlackBerry users yes. around the around the world versus uh, the uh, the Google phones and the iPhones and all that. But uh, no, absolutely. The question is more: What have they done? What turnaround measures have they taken? And what vision do they have? You know, you really have to when you're thinking and talking about BlackBerry or any company for that matter. If you've been losing money consistently and you don't have the right product or service or model that's that's working, it requires a drastic change. And the new CEO Chen, he has been able to make that change, not just from a product standpoint, but it seems more from a service, from an operational standpoint, and looking ahead. So it's not just dealing with the past; it's looking ahead. And I believe in the article, it also talks about not just 12 months ahead, but two years ahead, five years ahead, because he has a two-year plan, yet he signed on for another five years. So there's got to be, there's got, the mouse has got to be working in that brain. And absolutely, if you have the right, for any, any product, any service, any company, you have the right product, you create the right, I guess, image or recreating the right image, and things can happen. So they may not be profitable right now, but their losses are certainly less uh, less dramatic than they were. What what are have they been doing really to to turn things around? Well, I, I think they've always been lax on the product side. I believe I believe they've been that has triggered a whole bunch of other negatives. Certainly, when you don't have the right product, your distribution channels uh, certainly wane. There's no question that if the distribution network that they have was really doing well with their product, and there's no more product or no new product or other products have come out that have been much better, those distribution channels are certainly going to dry up. So now it's rebuilding. I think the biggest task and the biggest effort and energy level for Chen and BlackBerry is going to be how do we get those distribution channels back up and running? How do we get our contracts, our service providers, the people that, that we know can, can deliver our product, how do we get them back? How do we get their confidence back? That, I think, will be the biggest challenge uh, for BlackBerry. And there seemed to be some adjustment in terms of appealing to uh, to really the people that fell in love with BlackBerry first, the the enterprise users, the business people, those who want really something basic and and uh, and practical for uh, for writing for for business tools. Did they make a mistake? You think in trying to uh, to go a little bit uh, a little bit higher and and perhaps uh, uh, target the iPhone and other mainstream markets? It might be a question of you can't be all things to all people, and if you're doing something really well. And I think we'll hear that in the story with May Haddad and Mia Moore. I think if you do something really well, stick to what you do well. And if you're providing business owners a great email device and security and access to that business world and those documents, that's what you got to continue to do well. If you 
don't think anybody can compete with the hundreds of thousands of apps on the App Store uh, just by, by coming in. So I think they're going to get back to basics. And I understand there's actually a, a BlackBerry Classic that's that's coming in, in the near future. I think that's a message that they're getting back to basics on what BlackBerry used to be and hopefully turn things around. There's a Porsche Design 1 too coming, which looks kind of cool. Um, also, uh, we were talking about this last week as well, the upcoming Christmas season not looking too rosy for retailers, and uh, some more evidence of that uh, this week as Target has announced that they're, uh, they're really getting started right now on the sales, uh, which, which, which can't be a good sign. Essentially, they're, they're having some Black Friday-type prices uh, online right now. Is, is this a sign uh, for uh, uh, perhaps a, a troubling retail uh, holiday time ahead? Well, there's no question that the retailers are feeling it. They've been feeling it for a long time. I think uh, consumers walk into stores and and maybe Target in the Montreal area is not the best example because they didn't really, they kind of floundered when they started here. But there's no question that these big retailers, uh, like in many businesses, have to manage their inventory. They have to make it look like everything is appealing on the shelf and full so that the consumers have a great product to go get and to shop for. Yet they can't have too much because if it doesn't sell, they're just going to lose. They're going to clear out. It's just not going to be very pretty. So if they're trying to manage, if this is a story about managing inventory and that they may be the slow sales are creating uh, a bit excess inventory on their shelves, then yeah, they got to do something to get those people in the door and long before Christmas. But we're told uh, the stock market is up, the economy is turning around, everything's great. Why aren't people spending? There's lag. There's always a lag uh, between the stock market and the the economy and the consumer market. Uh, the experts will say there's approximately a nine month lag between the two. Uh, so that that will remain. Nothing happens. It's just like the the price of oil. You know, you can see what the price of a barrel is, but still go fill your tank and say, why is it still so high when the when the price of the barrel mm. is low? Um, also, speaking of Christmas sales, uh, this this company fascinates me, Alibaba out of China, which I guess maybe you can describe it a bit more detail. But my impression is that it's essentially the Chinese version of eBay, uh, tremendously successful. Um, its founder was profiled on 60 Minutes, by the way, if you could check it out. Mm-hmm. It's a really excellent report. Um, they've invented a holiday to help uh, to help with their sales. Singles Day, because in China, there are a lot of singles, uh, particularly single men because of their baby policy and so forth. And so they've created a holiday leading up to Christmas specifically for singles. Last year, it generated $5.7 billion in one day. It's amazing. You know, when you when, it, when a company can reinvent itself, you know, it doesn't, it goes to show you underestimating marketing, never underestimate the value of marketing, never underestimate the ability to create demand. It happens all the time. And, and certainly when you have a market of a billion plus people and many of them online because everybody's on their mobile devices and and whatever electronic gadgets that they might have you are now appealing to a market that first of all is looking for consumerism is trying to add to their to their array of what they can buy next what's a little bit more western or what's new or what's the gadget they can buy next and they want a reason to do it and they want to be avant-garde they want to say oh i got that first that's the thing. So if you can create something where they say, I got that first, uh, certainly in that part of the world, in the Far East, uh, there's no question it can go bank gangbusters. And they have lots of money to spend. And just looking at some of the numbers from today, uh, a this Singles Day, a bigger than Black Friday, so the most successful manufactured holiday in the history of the world, essentially, they sold $1.8 billion worth of goods in one hour today. One hour of online shopping. Black Friday is here. It's a North American. It's the America's holiday more so. Uh, maybe a little Europe, but it's the America's holiday. 
when you're talking about creating a holiday in China or in the Far East, you're talking about billion, two billion people. If they, if you start to include India and the and the surroundings, it's you're just, it's a mass market. It is. This is not a three hundred and thirty million dollar market in the U.S. This is a billion, a billion and a half people. Even if it's only half consumers and half the people buying, it's still absolutely astronomical. The thing that's fascinating about Alibaba is that it's really uh, helping to lift people out of poverty because it's connecting uh, a lot of people in far in the far reaches of rural China with with markets all around the world and and in more central areas. So uh, it's a sign, uh, at least with this particular company, uh, that the internet is going to essentially help uh, help lift people out of poverty, which is really exciting. What I, what I hope that you know the listeners and entrepreneurs take away is that we are global i mean in as much as it's easier to sell in your backyard if you don't at some point have some global image some view that or some future vision that you can't go a little bit beyond your borders or way beyond like like the far east then at some point you'll be limited the world is global that's you know that's something that's been around a long time it will continue to be around a long time and if you only operate in your backyard you better have a really good product at a really high markup otherwise you're not going to be a major major success when and make a make yourself a billionaire today's entrepreneur on cjad 800 our profile for this evening is may haddad of mia more collection we'll have uh, more with may in uh, just a moment and her profile coming up but first at 7 15. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And let's get to our profile for this evening on today's entrepreneur, May Haddad of Mia Moore Collection. May, welcome to CJD. Dan, thank you for having me on the show. Our pleasure. So first, uh, let's get to the easiest question of the evening. Tell us about yourself and about uh, what you do for a living. What is Mia Moore Collection? Well, Mia Moore uh, Collection is a Canadian clothing brand. I founded it in 2012, so that's about two years and a half. Um, it's uh, tailored specifically for women uh, from ages 40 to 75 or over 75. Um, it was created mainly to bring fashion uh, and trends to women of of various uh, shapes and sizes. Um, it's a market that is often neglected uh, in the fashion industry. So what we try to do is provide um, this market with the latest trends um, in trimmings and fabrics and uh, prints, um, as well as styling. But we make the styling into um, outfits that are more uh, comfortable and um, more flattering for uh, women uh, that are not uh, size 18 anymore. I mean, not of age 18. Age 18. Yeah. <laughs> size 18, maybe. Size 18, maybe. Yes. Our sizes go actually from extra small to 3XL. So it covers a wide range. Um, and all our product is uh, developed, designed, and produced in Canada. Now, before we get to, because the Canada part is very interesting to me, Dan, there's, you know, we, we have we have seen and spoken with some entrepreneurs that have been really focused with their manufacturing Canada. We'll come back to that in a moment. But where where did this start? I mean, this is not something you need a little bit of understanding of design and clothing. So oh, how did you get how did you get into this business? Where did, what what was before Mia Moore? Uh, well, I studied fashion design uh, in Collège La Salle. Um, I graduated in 1996. I worked in uh, different companies. I started as an assistant designer, worked my way up to designer. Um, and in 99, I wanted to start trying, you know, to, to have a business of my own. So I started creating style and sewing up 
myself at home and selling them in uh, my friend's boutique on St. Hubert's St. Hubert Street. Kind of your own personal collection? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a couple of styles and I would just uh, produce them myself. And later on, uh, you know, it started going well. I saw that there was a good reaction to it. Um, in 2001, I uh, decided to, you know, quit my job and go uh, full-time in my business. At the time, I didn't really have any idea about how to start a business, run a business, how to read financial statements or create a budget or anything like that. So it was a long road, actually, for me, starting from uh, no knowledge to learning a little bit here and there and forming my, uh, my experience. And Dan, you know, we, we've heard a number of startups on the show and, and a number of experienced entrepreneurs that at the beginning had no clue what to look at as far as paperwork or numbers or anything like that. And, and I think that'll be kind of an interesting aspect to explore uh, with May when we come back. May, uh, sorry, May Haddad of Mia Moore Collection, our guest this evening on Today's Entrepreneur at 723. The new BMW Canvic. Vibrant. For the ultimate driving experience, dynamic. The new BMW Canvex, 4090 Jean-Pelo West. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 725, welcome back to today's Entrepreneur. Our guest this evening is May Haddad of Mia Moore Collection. And just and just before we left, uh, we left on the break. We were talking about the the lessons that new entrepreneurs, when they get into business, but they you know they know their trade, they know their metier very well. But the question is, what else do they know, or what else do they not know? And I guess I'm going to turn to May and say, you know, of those area, those business areas, I guess that not the design areas, not the fashion areas that you were you were schooled in, you have that innate sense, I'm sure. But on the business side, what was maybe the biggest challenge or the hardest aspect to learn or to grasp? Um, the biggest challenge for sure was um, everything that has to do with financing. Um, just to work a budget, to know how much investment you need and how much sales you could do. Because I've seen this a lot happen, especially in the design or any artistic field where a person just becomes an entrepreneur and they have no clue how to go along on that. Um, you don't know what your capacity to produce is. So this is very important to understand that you can't just go and start selling everywhere and selling beyond your means of production. Um, that is something that I had to be coached on, actually. I was very lucky to have my brother um, help me in that field. Um, he had to show me exactly how to work a budget based on what your capacity is for financing. And even to approach banks later on, this is something very necessary to let them know that you are able to understand how much your capacity is. Did you ever build a business plan? Um, I built a business plan not for the purpose of approaching banks because launching my business two and a half years ago, I didn't want to use the banks at all in the beginning. I wanted to be able to start it um, without having any weight on my shoulders, uh, knowing that there's big interests to pay and... Uh, you know, not being able to pay them on time. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to focus mostly on the quality and the product and not have to worry about the financing. So I made sure that the initial investment we had, uh, my brother is my investor, first of all, and uh, he he's, you know, my advisor on all of that. But I, I wanted to make sure that whatever invested 
capital was available, I was going to be able to produce with that capital. How important was the business plan and the components, and have you, and how far off from that initial uh, thought process are you today? Um, I could say very far off, but in the same time, it's not too crazy far off. Um, you never start with one idea and carry on that idea all the way to the end. You start with something and you have to be flexible because the market changes a lot. Uh, there's a lot of things that are um, not, uh, you know, you don't think of when you start a business. Uh, but the plan helps you to stay more or less on the same track. Uh, but you have to be flexible in the sense where something unexpected comes along. You can go ahead and change a little bit your, your way of approaching the problem, but stay on the same track that you are heading on. Now, you also, I, you know, you have to deal with customers too. This is now your bread and butter. It's your company. You better make sure the top line is there. Uh, you had a little bit of experience with customers when you were doing, you know, your own little collection on the side, but now you really got to focus and go out and find the customers. Was that a difficult transition to make? I mean, did you hire outside people or you said, you know, you were the in the best position to go find them? Well, you know, when I started the business uh, of Mia Moore, uh, the, the, the business that I have right now, it didn't come out of nowhere. I have a very um, heavy background in, in business, uh, in the fashion industry. I was uh, associated with a bigger company, with a partner within a bigger company. Uh, that taught me a lot in that industry. It also allowed me to gain a lot of... Uh, contacts uh, from uh, supplier and from sales people and and uh, one of the reasons why I launched Mia Moore was because I had a, a top-notch sales rep uh, out west and he's the one who actually encouraged me after we decided to close the old company uh, he's the one who allowed me to carry on and encouraged me to start my own uh, business again and of course, one of the most intriguing aspects is that you're only manufacturing here in Canada. And when we come back from the break, we're going to explore exactly why and, and what benefits uh, are there to Mia Moore in that decision. Pretty rare in the fashion business in, in Montreal these days at 7.30. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, and our guest this evening, we're talking fashion business, May Haddad of Mia Moore Collection. And uh, the unique thing about uh, Mia Moore, May, is that, uh, we and we don't hear this very often in the fashion business, we, we had this with, with Marius Gagné from Harry mm -hmm. Canna, which was so phenomenal, but it's, it's so rare to see someone actually produce um, some of these items in Canada. Uh, tell us uh, about the temptation to uh, to go abroad, uh, particularly to China, to produce your stuff, and why decided to keep it local. For sure, price-wise, it's always better to import and produce outside. Uh, but there are also a lot of problems that come along with this. Uh, first of all, there's minimum quantities that you have to purchase, which doesn't necessarily mean you're, you'll sell all of them, especially when you're a startup business. It's very challenging to fill up all that uh, quantity. And the second thing is um, you don't have a very good control on your quality and the speed of which you could produce items. So when we're producing here, we have very good control on our quality, on our sizing, and we could, uh, you know, produce styles within two to three weeks, which is amazing. 
Now, given the fact that manufacturing base has certainly dropped dramatically, are you, does that make it easier or harder to find the labor to create the products that you design? It's much, much harder. You know that from 2001 to 2007, we lost about 50,000 um, workers in that industry, in the fashion industry. So all, you know, all the seamstresses, all the cutters, um, they, they never came back to that industry. And those are, um, you know, that's a workforce that had tremendous experience. And the experience in that field is very, very important because that's where your quality becomes Um, you know, um, good or not. If, if you have a good experienced uh, seamstress that is making your, uh, your sewing, the garment would look beautiful. Otherwise, you have a lot of problems happening there. Is this going to be a challenge to you in three, five, ten years down the road? Absolutely. We always try to find ways. Um, like right now, we try to hire a little less experienced seamstresses and try to to let them gain the experience while we're working with us, with maybe one senior seamstress and another junior, so one could you know, teach the other. But for sure, it's going to continue on becoming a problem because there aren't that many young uh, generations going into it. And so you kind of have to build your own. You know, the reality is, uh, and it's certainly in our profession too, it's kind of you want to build your own, you want to train them. That also helps from a culture standpoint. Instead of bringing somebody in from the outside, you kind of train train them your ways. You have the, the culture that kind of fits the, in this case, the Mia Moore collection. And in the long run, it should work out very well. But I understand it's absolutely uh, a challenge in finding that skilled person right off the bat. That's true. It is, yeah. Now, let's switch to marketing. You know, you, you started this, the Mia Moore collection business about two and a half years ago, Uh Have you been able to spend some time concentrating on marketing? <laughs> like, what have you done or not done or what's on your wish list? Well, there's many things on my wish list. Uh, given that I'm like sort of a one-man show in the company up to now, um, I really wanted to focus in the beginning on the quality of my product and make sure that once the product is delivered to my uh, boutiques and the customers try it on, they fall in love with it, and they want to come back the next season and buy more items of the Mia Moore collection. So for sure, marketing was not on my priority list. Um, I started doing some advertising last year, which uh, had a very, very good impact uh, you know, on, uh, on, on bringing attention to my product. Um, and I guess in the next year, Also, it's going to become a priority for me to go into the marketing. Does the, does the fact that you, uh, you produce all your, your clothing here in Quebec uh, figure prominently in your marketing? Absolutely. This, it's very, very necessary to have the label made in Canada on each and every garment that I ship to my stores because this is what uh, gives the collection its importance. Uh, the customer is very loyal to Made in Canada product. And um, I get a lot of uh, boutiques that tell me the moment that you start doing any imports, we're not going to be buying your line. So this is one of my main uh, concerns to keep my product made here in Canada. Now, you mentioned at the earlier on part of the uh, early part in the show about competition and one of the you saw a gap in the market, a miss in the marketplace. Uh, is that still the case? Like, is that A, do you keep tabs on the little competition that's there? And B, was there really a major miss in the marketplace? There was in the sense, this is a market that changed a lot in the past 10 years. We call this market Missy market. Um, it's women that are aged 40 to 75. Before the Missy market used to be 
um, 65, maybe to 85. And they used to dress the way that our grandparents dressed. Uh, but now uh, the woman that is 75, and I would think of my mother, she dresses more or less like, um, you know, a 45-year-old. She doesn't wear anymore the suits and the, you know, button front dresses that we used to make 20 years ago. Where do you get so, your where do you get your inspiration for the designs? Um I have a lot of sites that I go through uh trend sites and trend books and of course I uh visit the stores very often. I travel also uh to the states or to to Europe just to look at the styles and see what's coming uh what are the trends and colors and all that. Um and you have to you know you have to see what's happening out there cuz whatever junior uh, market has this year it's going to come back and and be translated differently in our messy market the years after no there, there's no question you got to stay on top of that now part of the business aspect I'm, I'm sure part of the area you had to kind of learn a little bit more was the cost to the pricing and and what will work in the market was that a difficult learning curve to figure out I got to I know I can sell for this garment for uh, you know, it's going to retail for seventy nine ninety nine. So I got to bring it in to the store for uh, thirty nine ninety nine, which means I got to manufacture it for you know nineteen ninety nine or whatever. Was, was the economics and that was that difficult to learn? Yes, it, that's uh, that's part of the ten year experience actually <laughs> that that I had to learn in, in the past ten years uh, because you know when you have to do your costing, you have to think of everything that goes in it from making the patterns to sewing the samples to the actual garment itself from fabric to trims to everything, uh, the cutting cost and all. Uh, so yeah, you have to kind of work backwards. You say that garment, like you said, Josh, it, it has to retail at 79. How can I bring it to be retailing at that price and still make a profit from it? So. And your brother, you said, is pretty helpful. Does he still stay involved? I mean, I know you worked together for a long time. Do you still, does he, you still either include him or does he stay involved in, in monitoring and, and looking at the financials and giving you assistance? Yes, I always consult with him. He actually lives in the States and he's not in the fashion industry at all. But uh, yeah, I always consult with him when there's major uh, business decisions to be made. Uh, he's always the one that uh, has an input in the company. Do you always agree? Uh, I always follow the advice he gives me. <laughs> he's my mentor, so... <laughs> No, and and that's huge. I, it's uh, you know, I think you're very fortunate. Not all entrepreneurs have, you know, Dan. We've 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 seen a lot of entrepreneurs over the years where they don't always have that resource person to go to. But those that do, and those that are willing to learn and 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 accumulate and and accept that knowledge, uh, certainly have a, a much better chance of success. Uh, and there's no doubt that there's many things that that you learn from there. Certainly, when you're starting a business, there's so many things out there. There's so many documents and information that you you get involved, you sign that you're not really sure what you're doing, not really sure what you're signing, and uh, that's kind of where we're going to head to next after the break. That's where our trustee uh, Patrick Sullivan uh, comes in. So we'll talk about that in uh, just a moment. But first, 7:45. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.49 on today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. Our guests this evening, May Haddad of Mia Moore Collection, her one piece of advice for today's entrepreneurs on the way. And we also welcome back Patrick Sullivan, trustee at Fuller Landau. Welcome back, Patrick. Dan, Josh, thanks for the invite. 
And uh, Joe, I guess we're going to get uh, we're going to get a bit technical, Patrick, right now. Well, yes and no. I mean, the reality is when you're starting a business, as, as I mentioned earlier, there's so many documents and everybody wants you to sign something, whether it's opening a bank account, whether it's with a, a supplier, whomever it may be. But not everybody reads the fine print. There's a lot of pitfalls you got to watch out for. And uh, Patrick is going to explain some of those challenges and pitfalls. So, Pat, I turn to you and maybe you can start off with some of the more common documents that entrepreneurs and business owners sign that that they have no idea what they're signing well i the first the first one that comes to mind is the lease uh unless the operator or the entrepreneur is going to be operating out of their own homes or their own uh building they will definitely have to go through the process of finding a landlord and they start looking at lease agreements uh surprise surprise many many times the landlords will come up with a lease that's like 50 60 pages in length and nobody really takes the time to read those and obviously at the end of all of this you will have acknowledged ticked and bop many many places in within the lease and sometimes the surprise is that and and i, I often ask this question when people get into trouble uh, did you personally guarantee the lease? No, 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 no. I didn't guarantee that. I didn't sign. Well, when you start reading through the agreement, you realize that, A, you signed this thing leads back to this event in the lease, and therefore you're on the hook. That's probably the first one that comes to mind. Suppliers will also uh, have a, a, uh, a field day when they ask you to open up a line of credit with them. At first, obviously, the entrepreneur is going to most likely be on a COD basis, but eventually you build your reputation with your supplier and the supplier says, okay, we'll open up an account for you. They will send you these fancy forms that, you know, and there's always like the bottom paragraphs, which are, uh, are written very, very small and oh, sign here, sign there and everything's hockey dory. We'll give you that, that line of credit for you at four, five, six thousand dollars and that will increase obviously as time goes by again many many times people will realize that they have personally guaranteed that banks are also doing this uh despite the fact that you know they they have these new means of allowing uh young entrepreneurs to seek i call it it's like opening an account with your credit card and they they it's it's going to be a business card that enables you to borrow some money uh, but what people don't realize is that that is fully guaranteed personally as well as the company's assets in many, many situations. And I guess the certainly whether it's bankers, whether it's your suppliers, they're not exactly out there, uh, you know, being transparent and saying, hey, you know, sign this. This is everything that's in there. And by the way, don't forget, you're signing personally. You're giving us a, a personal guarantee. So there's for sure people that aren't exactly as transparent as they should be. And uh, when we come back, we'll uh, learn a little more. Also, are people really uh, signing 60-page leases? That's insane. Oh, they are. Wow. <laughs> All right, Patrick Sullivan and May Haddad on today's Entrepreneur at 7, it's 7.53. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.56 on today's Entrepreneur. We're chatting with May Haddad of Mia Moore Collection. Her one piece of advice for today's Entrepreneur before the hour is up. Uh, and Patrick Sullivan uh, talking about uh, uh, contracts and, and all the 60-page uh, lease. Wow. 
Uh, That's you suspicious know, to me. <laughs> well, not suspicious. It's it's out there pretty often. And uh, just before we come back to Patrick, May, have have you had to go through that 50, 60-page lease? I just had to go through that actually last month to sign a lease. And uh, it was 50 pages, but uh, I went through it quickly. A lot of things you don't understand at all. So I had to go through my lawyer to make sure that, you know, there's some paragraphs that you have to take away, some uh, sentences you have to change. But, yeah, you definitely need to have someone look at a 50 or 60 page lease buyer sure. buyer beware that's for sure absolutely so pat as, as we turn back uh, also we know a lot of entrepreneurs deal with big box stores deal with the walmarts and the sears and 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 the bay and all that their agreements their contracts there's i'm sure a lot of fine print in there there well it, depending on which big box you're dealing with obviously you have to be ready to uh, invest a lot of time and energy just even trying to understand their universal terms agreement like the, many of them call it and you will see the type of contracts that will include volume rebates, uh, co-op advertising, uh, obviously all the normal insolvency clauses that you could dream of if you run into trouble, financial difficulties, if the bank calls the loan on you, if, 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 this is what we will do. We are allowed to terminate the contract. We are allowed to return the goods. We're allowed not to return the goods, but we'll credit the goods and we'll keep the goods. I mean, it, it, when you're dealing with the majors, you have to be very well equipped uh, and have the right people dedicating the time to just manage those accounts. A young entrepreneur, unfortunately, uh, will look at the top line and say, hey, these guys are promising me $2 million of sales overnight. And I can, you know, become really big. But the downside is at some point the dangers that they may literally control your business. And that doesn't even take into account the these profit centers that the big boys have that, you know, if you if you deliver something uh, incorrectly one way, you can get, you know, a penalty or a debit memo for this. Uh, if your if your goods were kind of you know, the box was was busted, it didn't have the right uh, barcode on there. Uh, there. There's lots of things that the entrepreneur has to watch out for when dealing with the big box stores and a lot of the fine print, as you were talking about before. Uh, thanks, Patrick. And as we come up to our last moment uh, of the show, as we do every week, we'll turn to May Haddad of Mia Moore Collection and ask May, what would your one piece of advice be to today's entrepreneur? Um, it would be to not be afraid to make mistakes. This is what's going to be the best experience is to try the trial and error, basically. And um, know your finances. This is the most important thing for the viability of a business is to know your finances. Excellent. And Dan, the, the one quick takeaway that I'll mention is, and it was very clear as May was talking about the relationship and the partnership between her and her brother, is they really play to their strengths. Uh, you know, where, where her brother is, is big on the, the financing and the business side of it, as May has learned over the years, but where she concentrates on the product and the design and the service, they complement each other. Know where, know where your strengths are, know where your weaknesses are, make the right partnership. May Haddad of Mia Moore Collection. Uh, thanks so much for coming in, May. Thank you for having me on the show. And thanks Thank to Patrick Sullivan as well for being back on the program tonight. And uh, Josh, we're back next Monday night. And uh, Steve Dustin will be our profile of Lauren Tide. The Exchange with Barbara Kay is next on CJD. It's 8 o'clock.